The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to discuss how to value and understand more about intellectual property. Joining us is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, who is the founder and CEO at Seiler-Tucker Inc., which is a mergers and acquisition company that specializes in buying, selling, growing, and fixing companies. And she's also the author of the recently published book, Exit Rich. So far this week, Michelle and I have talked about her six pillars of IP. And yesterday we talked about trying to understand how to find a valuation for your company and how marketers influence that valuation. Today, we're going to talk about avoiding and resolving potential IP disputes. All right, here's the last part of my conversation with Michelle Seiler-Tucker, founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker, Inc. Michelle, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you for having me, Benjamin. Good to be back. So excited to have you back here. And today's going to be a little bit of a bitch fest on my part. <laughs> I have an IP dispute, something I never thought would happen. I, I have created multiple podcasts. One of them had somebody who hired me as a consultant, and then they sold me the intellectual property of the podcast that I created in exchange for more content. So I own the podcast that they hired me as a consultant. So I would create more content for them and for the rest of the community. And then they double backed and said, you know what? We own the IP still. We don't like how this contract happened. And I'm holding an agreement and they're saying, no, it doesn't count. Moral of the story is, well, I got an IP dispute. They say they own it. I say I own it. What do we do? I don't want to tell it to the judge. Talk to me about how you handle and avoid these types of IP disputes. Well, number one, you want to make sure that you have a good IP attorney representing you from the start. A lot of times, business owners, marketers will just go down to a regular attorney that does typical law and doesn't really specialize in IP. And I think it's imperative. You know, even my co-author, Sharon Lecter's husband, is an intellectual property attorney. And it's imperative to have the right representation and have it documented correctly the first time. And you're saying you had a contract, right? The first time? Yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail about my IP dispute. I had a contract. It was signed. It had a red mark on it. So the company that I'm working with said, no, this contract wasn't approved by our legal team. And they're basically saying, well, we're just going to throw the contract away and pretend it doesn't exist. What was me? You know, sometimes you run into times where, in my case, somebody says, well, we don't believe this contract was valid. And sometimes you don't even have the contract or there's lack of clarity. 
My real question is, hey, okay, there's the question of having the right representation up front. What are some of the other ways that you can avoid IP disputes? So obviously having the right representation up front, also having an agreement in writing. So with everybody that works with me, because I have marketers that work for me, and I have an agreement that they have to sign that says I own the content. If it's going to be a contract situation and they're not really part of our team, then we might have an agreement that says they can own the content. But we want to establish that agreement from the beginning. So every single one of my agreements, I own the content. So really, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm not an attorney. The biggest thing you need to do is get an IP attorney to figure out how to protect yourself. Make sure you have those agreements up front because so many times people get stuck with an employee or somebody writing content, writing a blog, writing something, put it on a website, then they want to come back and sue the company versus the company suing the employee and then saying that they own the content. I'm dealing with several situations, not me as a company, but I'm working with some of my clients that have employees, marketers coming back to them saying that they actually own the content. So you just want to be clear up front. A lot of times people enter into relationships and there's nothing in writing. The handshake agreement doesn't do you very much good. And my guess is that most of the time IP disputes happen when there is some sort of a potential exit. Do you see IP disputes just coming up out of the blue? Or is it really when, you know, you're trying to figure out who's going to divide up the pie after the company's been sold? So most of the time, we always look at IP before we even put a company on the market. We look at intellectual property because we don't want to get caught with our pants down, so to speak. (laughs) And so we want to make sure that we know who owns the IP, especially because it can get very convoluted, especially if you've got patents and trademarks and everything else. And a lot of times they're held in different entities. So we do all that due diligence up front so that when we do go through due diligence with our buyers, that we have crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. So we're not going to have any disputes later because when the attorneys go to do the closing docs, we want to make sure that we have everything up front. Otherwise, it's going to stall the closing. So when you think about specifically for content, there's the question of who's the author? What's the platform that the content is being published on? A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. 
That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. If there is no agreement, how do you figure out who actually owns the right to the content created? Well, the judge does. <laughs> Before you get to that part. <laughs> it costs a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they'll look at what the president's is. It was set. You know, how long has that person been writing that content? What type of president's been set, et cetera. But the bottom line is you just got to have agreements. That's why I have agreements that cover me on every single piece of content that's developed for us. You just got to have those agreements up front. Otherwise, it's going to get into a dispute. Now, when you get into a dispute, what are some of the ways that you can look for resolution when you're trying to figure out who actually owns the underlying IP? First of all, nobody ever wins a dispute except for attorneys, right? (laughs) So a dispute is because somebody doesn't want to pay. Somebody wants to get paid or doesn't want to pay. So you just got to figure out what's the quickest, cheapest way to solve that problem. And sometimes it might be giving up a little bit, but giving up a little bit is better than giving up everything, really. But I always say get more than one opinion. It's kind of like when you go to a doctor and the doctor says you have cancer. You're going to just take that doctor's opinion? No. You want to go and get three or four doctor's opinions. Same thing with a lawyer. You want to make sure that you're getting different opinions on IP because I'll talk to five attorneys and get different opinions. And I have three very good IP attorneys I work with right now. Sounds expensive. It's expensive not to. That's why you should do it in the beginning. Like I said, it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know. All right. So based on what we've discussed, right, let's say my scenario is, hey, this company is saying you don't own the IP, even though you have an agreement signed. We don't think the agreement is valid. I think that that's a negotiation because they're trying to bring me to the table to reduce my commercial terms. It's not really about who owns the content. They just don't want to pay for the services that I provided to them or they don't want to pay as much. Give me some advice. What would you do? I actually think they're wrong. (laughs) Now, I haven't seen the contract. I don't know all the pieces to the puzzle, but I actually think they're wrong because if you have a signed contract, an executed contract by an employee at the time that worked for that company, and so what if it has red line? I have closing docs that have red line. <laughs> that doesn't mean, oh my God, we reversed the closing and now there is no sell. There's been many times where there's been red lines left in a contract. I don't think that that just makes the contract automatically invalid. I would get a second opinion, a third opinion, and see what they say. But again, You don't want to spend a lot of money on legal fees. You don't want to end up in court, but they're just pushing you to see if you're going to push back. And they're probably listening to this podcast. So (laughs) I don't know if they're listening to this podcast. Look, at the end of the day, most of the time, the IP disputes, when you're talking, in my case, where it's a company talking to the content creator, it's really about the commercial terms, right? It's not necessarily about the ownership of IP. In this case, I believe it's we want to pay you less as opposed to own the underlying IP. But it does go both ways. There are times when the content creator says, I want to own the assets that I created and the company feels like they own it. It is a tricky dance to try to figure out IP. And I think the moral of the story here, based on what Michelle is saying, is you got to protect yourself up front. You have to have these agreements in place before you start the work. Yes. And you know what? I have a great IP attorney that I think should be on your podcast (laughs) because she can tell you all the do's and don'ts. She can tell you how to cross the T's and dot the I's and make sure there's no surprise. I think it's imperative to have somebody like her on your podcast to give you guys the down and dirty. You know, it's one of those things that we always say, get protection up front, make sure that you have a contract, you have that ironclad agreement. If I've learned anything from 2020, nothing is for certain. 
that even when you have the ironclad agreement, sometimes those can just be tossed in the trash, apparently. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it's risk versus reward, right? I mean, how much money do you want to spend to win? It's not about winning. It's about being smart. Well, sometimes it's about winning. But... It's the value preservation. And there's also the aspect of it. Sometimes it's not worth the fight, you know? Right. I don't know if there's a suit for me in this other matter, but it may or may not be worth it. I might just say I'm going to walk. Well, in your case, for this dollar amount, from what you tell me, I don't think it's worth it, but you just never know. Now, if somebody went out there and created a huge, massive IP and it's worth a lot of money, then it might be worth it. You just got to evaluate it. I'm going to quote Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. That's true in gambling. It's also true in IP disputes. Michelle, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. I want to give you a chance to talk about the book that you wrote, Exit Rich. Tell me a little bit about why the marketing community should be interested in Exit Rich and where can they go to find it? Sure. Thank you so much, Benjamin. So Exit Rich, I wrote with Sharon Lecter, my co-author, who I mentioned earlier. She's a five-time New York Times bestselling author. and She's written several books in Napoleon Hill Foundation. Plus, she's a financial literacy expert, CPA, and advisor to many presidents. Exit Rich was endorsed by Steve Forbes, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins. Exit Rich is not just about selling your business. It's really all about building a sustainable business that can run without you. So you have a business, not a job. And it's all about creating a sustainable, scalable business. So when you're ready, you actually have a sellable asset because eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. So why is it so important that marketers read it? It's so important that marketers read it because the biggest part of evaluation is marketing, is that IP. How many followers do you have? How much content do you have? What's your database look like? How well branded you are? What's the platform look like? Are you number one on Google? Are you number one on this? Number one on that? So marketers really create the value in the company. And marketing companies sell like hotcakes. There are lots and lots and lots of buyers for good marketing companies. So that's why marketers should read it. It's great to hear that marketers have value, create value, assist in the asset appreciation and in terms of appreciation, Michelle, let me just say, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Sounds like, yeah, I got one more thing to say. Go ahead. Yes, of course. Um, and also the biggest mistake that business owners make is they stop marketing. <laughs> they stop innovating, they stop marketing. That's right. Plus, one of the biggest mistakes that marketers make is they don't always create a business. So you want to make sure you create a business, not just a job and a business that can run without you based upon those six Ps. So when you are ready to sell, you can sell for millions and exit rich. Doesn't that sound nice? All right, Michelle, thanks so much for being our guest. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Michelle Seiler-Tucker, co-founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker, Inc. for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Michelle, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profiles in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is mseilertucker, M-S-E-I-L-E-R-T-U-C-K-E-R. Or you can visit her website, which is seilertucker.com. Maybe more importantly, you can find her book at exitrichbook.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. 
Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish episodes every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.